0: Welcome back to another episode of the Think Deeper podcast, a Memorial Day edition of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. Happy Memorial Day to everyone. Um, Hope you've got big plans uh, to grill out or to go to the lake or whatever it is. Are you guys big Memorial Day celebrators? Got any big plans? I think um, obviously it's no secret we're recording this a little bit ahead of time um, we are doing a cookout I think for dinner is, is our plan Rachel Rachel loves to get on the grill um, it's something your wife that, is good you know, on the grill
1: I was she is, very she's, she's
0: really good so I think we're going to do burgers and stuff how about y'all? I'll be working
1: uh, and then I'll probably not no, I might <laughs> take the family out or, or grill something um, but just I I don't know there's not a lot of days off right now <laughs>
2: I told clients I'd play it by ear. Sure. If they wanted to meet, we'd probably meet. So, um, yeah, I'll probably be working. I don't know. I, on the other hand, I got... Uh, yeah, well, we might do something. I stink on the grill. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I, we don't even own a grill right now. And if we did, I still probably wouldn't use it.
0: So... Uh. <laughs> well, hopefully, there's there's uh, some of our listeners are going to enjoy some nice steaks or some nice burgers or whatever it is. Uh, we did want to announce... Obviously, school is now out. I uh, got a lot of people graduating. Congratulations to the class of 2023. I'm sure we've got some parents that are listening that their kids are graduating. Um, exciting time! It's I remember when I was graduating. It's just exciting, you know. It's you know the end of, of a chapter, the high school chapter, and you're moving into to something new. Um, obviously, I think it goes without saying. A lot of people already know that we've got. If you're looking for some kind of a graduation gift, if you're looking for something along the lines of shoring up your kids faith. If you know a graduate at your church, maybe you will have a banquet or something and you're like, man, what can I get them other than just money? We've got all kinds of stuff here at Focus Press that could be great for that books, resources um, that are, again, are really going to shore up their foundation of faith and, and shore up what they need to know convicted would be a great option stuff devotional book stuff like that but then also with focus plus obviously that's launched you do have the option if you'd like to pay for a subscription for them for up to a year or obviously even longer um, and so that's an option as well if that's something that you think uh, your high school graduate that you know would appreciate uh, give us a call and we can set that up for you uh, for focus plus so guys anything else to add Uh, to that announcement before we get into the episode. I was just going to say
1: I'm going to be at uh, Olive Branch Church of Christ uh, just south of Memphis in Mississippi, uh, Sunday, June 4th. And so uh, I know we've got some listeners in that area, so come on out. I'll be doing uh, some speaking on the flood, uh, helping them kick off their VBS. So uh, Memphis area, I'll be over at Olive Branch Church of Christ. So love to see anybody there.
0: Exciting. Yeah. Go here, Jack. That's awesome. Um, Alright guys, let's get into this, I guess it's the third episode of our friendship sort of relationship arc that we've done. We talked about um, kind of the friendship epidemic a couple weeks ago, the fact that we don't really know how to have a re- real relationships, we we really delved into social media and how much that's affected uh, affected the way that we do friendships, and then last week we looked at more specifically guy-guy friendships and why we so often can get those wrong and why those are valuable. And then obviously the other side of the coin, female-female friendships. Um, got a lot of good feedback on that. It's something that I think a lot of people have good thoughts on and maybe a lot of people have struggles with uh, as we see. And so we wanted to wrap up this particular episode arc with kind of the other side of when the ideal stuff doesn't work out. Obviously, ideally, you want to have great relationships with everybody. You want to have great guy-guy friendships, great-girl-girl girl friendships, great relationships with people in your congregation. That's the ideal scenario, right? That's not always going to work out. And so we wanted to devote this episode to basically conflict resolution. How do we resolve conflicts um, in our relationships? Because let's face it, it's going to be inevitable. It's, it's, it's normal. It's, it's something that um, I'm going to hand it off to Joe here in just a second. We're talking off air. It's kind of healthy in a way. Obviously, if, if that's all you're doing is, is is kind of combating each other and going at each other, that's not super healthy. But everybody listening to this has had some kind of conflict with somebody that they're close to and then maybe other people that they're not close to. We, we bemoaned that the church isn't quite as close these days. Um, you know, as far as the the individuals that make up the church, we're not as close to each other. There's conflicts in that, and so we wanted to address this. We got several different areas of conflict that we're going to get into, but I think we wanted to start, and this is where I'm going to hand it to Joe, with this idea that we really shouldn't be completely averse to conflict. Again, we shouldn't go seek it out. We shouldn't, you know, start the day, start the week with, okay, how can I, how can I have conflict with somebody, but I do think it is normal. I do think it is something that is going, again, it's inevitable. It can even be healthy. So, Joe, I'm going to hand it to you here. What do you have to add to the idea that, you know, some conflict, um, and whether that be in marriages, whether that be in relationships, whether that be among our the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you have to add to the idea that maybe some of that can be healthy in a way?
2: Yeah, it has to happen in order for the relationship to grow. You think about tension— like in the importance of tension in life and specifically think about it in lifting weights. If you're not tearing the muscle and if you're not putting enough tension on it, you're not really going to grow muscles. If I lift a two pound weight and man, I could do a hundred reps on a two pound weight. I might get toned quote unquote, but I'm not going to get big. I'm not really going to grow the muscle, right? Because there's not enough tension. There's not enough weight to it. And you see this in marriage of the couples that, you know, they go in, we, we agree on everything. Okay, that's really cool. Uh, you know, that's good that you agree on everything. My wife and I are really close. We agree on most things. But without some level of conflict or tension, you're giving the you're basically you're starving the relationship of any opportunity to grow. It's un, it's through tension that things start to kick off. And so I think I had a today um, sorry, when,
0: real quick. I had a, an older guy he'd been married for 40 or 50 years and of course, highly respect that. That's incredible, but he he told me he said one of my biggest pieces of advice to you is don't ever argue with your spouse. We've been married for 40 years and we've never argued. Safe to say you would not agree with that. I, I did think that was peculiar when he told me that.
2: <laughs> no. Um, no, there's going to be conflict, especially when a man is is taking his role in the marriage. The wife, I mean, going all the way back to Eve, that's part of the fall. Is She's going to desire her husband's role, right? Like, There's conflict even in the consequences of the fall 6,000 years ago. Um, That started off marital conflict. Well, maybe what started off is Adam blaming his wife and, you know, back and forth. But conflict is going to happen. uh, And I don't think we should be afraid of conflict at all. But I think one of the reasons that the divorce rate is so high today is because we really are afraid of conflict. We don't know how to have it. Jack, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, I don't know how the whole don't argue thing is even possible. I mean, like, you're two different human beings. You don't see eye to eye on every last thing. And so, what are you just like? Well... I think this, I think something different, well, I'll just get up and walk out of the room, like, what What are your recourses at that point, I don't, I don't get that at all, but I was discussing this with Allison, kind of telling her what, what this episode is about, what we're going to be recording today, and she made a good point of, if you don't, if you can't figure out how to work through conflict, you're resigning yourself to one of two things, either very, very shallow relationships, where you don't go past surface level with anybody. And man, that's something we complain about so much. All of our relationships are so surface level. Or you try and go past it and you can't deal with conflict. So you're going to have a series of very short relationships where you get close to somebody, heads, it goes wrong, and then you just go separate ways. And so then you start again and then you just get into, after the fourth or fifth of those, you're like, man, everybody in the world's messed up. And you see people kind of talk this way of, I just, I can't find anybody and, uh, you know, who who's like me. I can't find a friend. I can't, well, maybe that's because you're demanding your friends be exactly like you, think exactly like you, agree with you at all times. And if they don't, then, you know, shake the dust off your feet. Like, you can do that. But that means either one of those things. You're going to be very shallow or very short relationships, uh, a string of them left in your wake. And neither of those are good. And so you have to get to the point where you realize alright, I'm going to have to put up with some stuff. I'm going to have to disagree with people and be okay with it. I'm going to have to have things where a, f- a friend and I agree to disagree and still love each other and, and move on with our lives. And that's a difficult thing to do. But if you don't, again, you're you're very stuck with bad relationships.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the goal here... Sorry, I'll give it back to you, Joe. I think the goal here should not be to avoid conflict at all costs in, in, in any relationship. That should not be the goal. The goal should be to learn how to work through that conflict, to learn how to communicate through that conflict and overcome that conflict. If your strategy is just, well, I got to avoid it at all costs, that's a poor strategy.
2: Well, and I would say, again, you're robbing your relationship of the opportunity for growth when you do avoid conflict and you defer all the time. This is an opportunity and that's why we, wanna, that's why we wanted to couch it this way as we get into the outline here. But right before we do, because, Will, you put together a fantastic outline of the different forms of conflict. We'll explain that in a second. Um, John Gottman... John and Julie Gottman are are kind of the foremost marriage experts in the world. No, I don't agree with them on everything. Yes, they do some LGBTQ stuff more recently. I'm not a fan of that, obviously. However, undeniably, their stuff is fantastic. They have their Love Lab up in um, Seattle where they um, like. Is that anything like a Love Shack? Thousands of. (sighs) Don't get. Now it's in my head, and all I can hear (laughs) is Love Shack ringing around up there, and that's. So for all of the listeners that had the same exact response to me and you're now singing Love Shack, I apologize. Um, Brutal. But yeah, they would, uh, which this sounds really weird on the surface. They videotape like thousands of couples in their love lab, which is like, what? Um, But no, they track the couples and they can determine, I think it's like 93% accuracy what couples are going to get divorced. And so they're like very good on marriage um, conflict and everything else. And they say... When it comes to conflict, there's four things you got to watch out for. It's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. They call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When these enter into the marriage, and I would say any of these relationships we're about to get into, it's not good. Um, You can have high levels of emotion in conflict. You can even, I'm not suggesting it, but you could even yell at one another. But as long as these things aren't coming into it, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, stonewalling where you put the wall up and don't say anything, right? Um, if those things are present, you're going to have a really difficult time working through any conflict. And so when you're coming to a conflict with a brother in Christ or with a, one of your friends, are you looking to criticize? Do you hold contempt in your heart for them? Are you harboring bitterness? And, and that's about to spew out in all of your interactions. That's not okay. That's not good. And so as we get into the different forms of conflict, we just wanted to lay that out up, up front of there are rules, terms of engagement. There are rules by which we must abide by when it comes to conflict and we have to kick out the criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling in order to have good relationships. So, Will, I'm going to turn it back to you. You did the outline. I think it's a fantastic outline with what you have here. Explain to us the different forms of conflict and, and kind of maybe how you how you came to that.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and preview all four, um, and then we will obviously go in-depth on each one of them. Uh, as you think about the different kind of conflict conflicts, the different forms of conflict, I guess, if you will, um, that we are capable of getting into... I came up with four. Uh, If you come up with another one, uh, great. Let us know in the comments. Um, But the first one I would call personal conflict. Um, That is somebody wrongs or offends specifically you. Uh, Maybe there's a sin involved, maybe there's not, but it's something that somebody did specifically to you, a reason you have to be offended, a reason uh, that you were wronged. That'd be personal. Um, The next form I would call it sinful conflict where there's no question sin is in the picture sin someone is is in sin um, and that's causing a conflict maybe it's a close friend somebody in your congregation um, that's got to figure out a way to be resolved even if they didn't necessarily do something to you there's a conflict because sin is in the picture the third would be congregational um, kind of the idea of church-wide disagreements you hear about church splits all the time it's not one individual against one individual but rather you've got a whole church, really a whole congregation that is that is rifting, that is, that is in conflict over something. And then the last one that we'll end with is just what I call natural conflict. And that is there's no sin involved. Um, they didn't necessarily do anything to you, but you simply don't get along with that person. They don't get along with you. You butt heads, right? You know, you're oil and water. You just get on each other's nerves. Again, maybe there was no sin involved. Maybe there's nothing that happened. You just you really don't get along with that person. I think everybody that's listening to this can think of somebody maybe in your life that that you have have experienced or that you have um, interacted with before that that's that's your uh, reaction to them. You just don't get along with them. Maybe not for any reason you can pinpoint. So we're going to hit all those, hit all four of those. Let's go back and start with the first one, and that is the personal conflict. Again, the idea that somebody has done something specifically to you. Um, And obviously, we're going to be using Matthew 18 quite a bit uh, specifically for these first two Um, and so I'm going to turn it over to one of these two guys. Matthew 18 is where Jesus really lays out the pattern, lays out the recipe, if you will, for what to do when conflict takes place. Um, and I wanted to, I was actually, we were talking about this last night, uh, me, Joe and Jack were about kind of the, the different ways that Matthew 18 is translated. Um, these guys are big new American standard, uh, guys, and so in their translation, um, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, the idea that their translation says, if your brother sins, and, and, you know, says it right there, Uh, the New King James says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, which you might be like, that's kind of splitting hairs, no, it's not, really, those those are two kind of different things, and obviously, the way that Matthew 18 goes, you you have, again, Jesus lays out a pattern, Um, you go to the person yourself, try to resolve it. If that doesn't work, you take together one or two witnesses with you, go try to work it out. If that doesn't work, you tell it to the church, then the elder or the elders of the church, and, and you try to resolve it that way. If that doesn't work, if they're still um kind of staying in their in their lane, so to speak, then you treat them as a heathen tax collector. That's when the church discipline disfellowshipping idea comes out. And so because of that, I do think that's it's not really talking about if somebody, you know, slightly offends you, this is where we are talking about sin here because the um the end result if if it all goes poorly is their disfellowship so again it's not going to be something minor but i did want to ask you guys about this matthew 18 passage because it applies to this first form of conflict the personal and the second one obviously with sinful what do you guys think about that first there in verse 15 the idea of if your brother sins against you versus if your brother sins obviously it applies both ways um i would say but what do you guys have to to contribute to that the funny thing is, contextually, it doesn't help that much because the the
1: text immediately before is Jesus talking about going and restoring the lost sheep, the 99 and the 1. And so you think, okay, that's about a person who sins, going and confronting them and dealing with it. But then right after, Peter's asking about forgiving your brother when he sins against you. And so really the context pushes you in, in the same directions of it could be either or. And so I think my, you know, I... I I think New American Standard does well on, on most things. There's some quibbles I have. I think it's probably right on this one in that it is a general when a brother sins um, because it's talking about the restoration, taking others along, and it's not just this guy hurt me, but this is this becomes everybody's problem As is where there is a sin. And so, but I mean, I think similarly when somebody sins against you, it's one of those where if it's one thing, then it can be the other. But if it's, you know, if it's, if it's your brother sins, then sins against you is in, under that headline. It's included in that. If it's specifically sins against you, then it's, we don't have any recourse for if a brother just sins generically. And I think this is the more generic where the specific can fit under it. Does if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So with that being said, and Joe, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. That means Matthew 18 is going to pertain a, kind of more to the next area that we're going to get into. So with this first one of personal conflict, what do you do what, what do we do specifically when we're the ones that have been wronged and we've got somebody who there's conflict because they've done something to us what do we do what, what's what's our course of action? I
2: think Matthew 5 speaks to you know somebody having something against us and maybe not us against them but I think it works both ways. I think it um, yeah it goes both ways there like if they have something against you leave your offering go make it right with them. But if you have something against them, it's fine. Go ahead and do your offering. And it's just, of course not. Of course not, right? Like the idea still applies if you need to go make it right with your brother. Um, We don't always know when somebody has something against us, but we certainly know when we have something against them and we are those who pursue peace and how long, I think a lot of times people are kind of, they work under the delusion that I'll just forget about it. It'll just go away. And we do this in marriage. We do this in a lot of relationships. It'll just go away. It's fine. Does it ever really go away? If we haven't really resolved the conflict, yeah, on certain small things. You took my candy bar. Yeah, I'll probably forget about that one. Um, some of the bigger things where somebody has sinned against you, they've actually wronged you in some way. It's, it's and to, very and difficult.
0: To, I was going to say, to provide a little context here, it could be something like they said something that really, really hurt you, maybe inadvertently, something that just really, really offended you. Because, again, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what are all the things that – might not have sin involved you know somebody could could heavily insult you maybe inadvertently without sin just stuff like that you hear that you hear about that people that i don't speak to that person well why not oh because they said this eight years ago and you're like really that that's the reason but it it is stuff like that that people can really latch on to and hold a grudge and i still think that again I, i already moved matthew 18 to the next section but i think that first step still very much is what needs to be done first right if I've got something, if, if Joe offended me and Joe wronged me, number one, he might not even know it. So what should my first step be? Hey, Joe, I uh, just wanted to let you know, da, 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 da. you know, you, you said this and it, it just really hurt my feelings or whatever. Um, that's easier said than done is the problem. But, I mean, do you guys disagree? I think that's got to be the first step in just about every single one of these scenarios we're talking about as far as somebody wronging us. It's got to be the first step. As difficult as that may be.
1: Well, in determining, is it a sin? Because I, I don't want to step on our last point where it's just natural conflict and not getting along with people. Because one of the easy things to do is make natural conflict into a sin so it gives you a high ground, right? Of, okay, well, we're, we're butting heads, we're not getting along. And I've seen people do this in a church of, well, they're sinning, and so go correct them, you know, and I'm going to sick the elders on them or, no. Uh, maybe you're both sinning, and if that's the case, then there's uh, even a different thing to it. But let's say it's you loan somebody your tool and they won't give it back. Let's say it's you know they their family came over and yeah your your yeah. kid their kid you just you know tore up your house and they don't want to help you pay for it or, or you know there's things like these that happen when you spend time around each other um, or you know you just found out they they said something really hurtful about you or or any of any scenario you want to put in here that is a sin and I, I think one of the things we have to be careful about is running to other people to run them down, running to other people that can you believe they did this? Versus, I think it's okay to go to a trusted, mature Christian source and to say, Is this a sin here? Am I am I in the wrong? Am I perceiving this wrong? And this is this is how I think it is. And with the there there can only be two outcomes from that. That your outcome needs to be okay, it's not a sin, I'll let it go, I'll drop it, or okay, I do need to go to them. If you're just going to vent, that's no good. And so you do need to to be going through and asking yourself these questions of, is it a sin? Do I need to confront this? Do I need to to follow this through? Do I need to start going through the steps of Matthew 18, of taking other people to solve this with me? You know, like if you're not asking those questions and it's just a frustration, it's just going to fester.
0: That's why I put on the outline for this section. You have to actually be hopeful for a solution. I think there's far too many people who enjoy being upset just for the sake of being upset right it kind of gives them the moral high ground it it, i don't know that that sounds mean but i i've I've been around a lot of people who they kind of like it when you know they're the offended ones right they're the victim and so they're going to kind of revel in that and it's like no you got to actually try you got to be hopeful for a solution you actually got to want to resolve it and so i I love that jack about one of two outcomes there if it's not if it's not a sin and you're capable of dropping it, drop it. If it is something that you know you feel like really needs to be addressed, then you go follow Matthew 18. There is no kind of again just staying on the moral high ground and, and just kind of reveling in the the fact that you were the victim. You got to move past that.
2: If you're always the offended party, if you're always the one that is, to your point, will that's being offended, or man, I have to take you're taking umbrage with literally everyone. Take a step back look in the mirror, uh, is that if, if there's the common denominator, then yeah, you know, consider that approach that I might be the common denominator here, and maybe I am a little touchier, maybe I am reading into it, and a lot of times it comes from us not, um, we kind of already believe it, and we read that into the situation, people aren't going to like me, well, why do, why do you think people aren't going to like you, because you don't like yourself, ultimately, those who are comfortable with themselves go into every situation quite comfortable, now, if you end up offending somebody or you end up doing something, that's fine. But if if you do have somebody against you, you go in as, hey, I'm comfortable with who I am, but I'm also, I'm here to save the relationship. Um, that has to be the thing. So I like that idea of like being hopeful for a resolution. So I guess the last question on this one, and this is a big one. There's, this is, I don't know if we could say hotly debated, but it's certainly debated. Can you forgive a person without them asking for it? Can you forgive someone without them asking for forgiveness? um i have waffled on this one before jack i think you've i know your answer and i actually like your answer you probably kind of talked me into it but um what are your thoughts on it well before i turn it over to jack do you i was gonna think say
0: jack's on? gonna have the slam dunk so we'll just uh, leave it to him no um i think obviously the the two sides of this are you've got one side saying um you have no obligation you you can't forgive because you know until they have asked because not even god does that right and they'll appeal to the fact that you know God doesn't forgive you unless you ask, and so therefore you can't forgive anybody else unless they ask. And then you have the other side that is saying, you know, you you need to offer that forgiveness, and you 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 can and should go ahead and forgive them regardless of whether or not they've asked, because the forgiveness is really for you, not necessarily for them. Um, and obviously, what are we talking about here? We're not really talking about sin, because none of us can physically forgive sin. We're talking about kind of giving up the the right to again. Wield the moral high ground over them. You're you're giving up your right for vengeance. You're giving up your right to say I'm right, you're wrong. You're just kind of forgiving that. Um, it, it does go both ways. There's a lot of people that say you should go ahead and do that, and there's other people that say that no, you physically can't. And so um, Jack again has got Jack's got the best analogy on this, um, and it's one that I agree with. I I will say. If you are somebody, and I've met people like this, that I'm not going to forgive until they basically come begging to me, that's the wrong attitude. That is absolutely not the right approach. God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Um, there's a lot of people that kind of hide behind this idea and say, well, till, till they come crawling back and, and, and specifically repent of what they did, I am not going to forgive them. If that's your attitude, you need to check that.
2: Before Jack gets into it, though, um, I do think if a person has truly sinned against you, well, that's going to go into the next one but we might as well talk about it here. If someone has truly sinned and you are forgiving them so as to not have to actually engage in conflict, that's wrong too. You're allowing them to stay in sin and to stay Oh in yeah, absolutely. That they really you know they really ought to. And so I just want to throw that in there as well. And I don't think that's mainly what's being talked about when people ask this question, but well, but those
1: are those are the two critiques, right? One side says you have to forgive or else you're being a grudge holder. And there's a valid point to that, like Will was saying. The other side says if you forgive somebody who's not repenting, you're just, you know, granting them clemency for something that they need to make right, that it's not okay, it's not right with God. You can't forgive something that God's not forgiving. And so, i long-time listeners, I'm sure, have heard me give this illustration. You just write the word forgiven on the piece of paper, On a just on a piece of paper. You sit across the table from somebody. Your job is to put it on the table. It's not to hold it back and say, until you ask, I'm not giving this to you. And it's not to walk around the table and put it in their pocket. It's to put it on the table and say, if you're willing to reach out for this, you can have it. I have extended this. I've set it out there, so I'm not holding on to it. It's not a grudge that I'm festering on, but it's also not something I'm forcing on you when it when you don't, you shouldn't have it. I'm not telling you it's okay. But you're when still, it's not. in a way,
0: taking the first
1: step, right. of extending it at least. And that's yeah. that's the heart of forgiveness is saying. Right, the I have right. let go of any right over this that I have. I'm putting it out there. You still have to take it. There's there's the two sides of this because that's, the debate revolves around, it's all one-sided. It's all, what do I do? Well, there's two people to it. Forgiveness takes forgiving somebody and them being forgiven. And so all you can do is extend it. And that is, that protects you from having the grudge holding heart, but it also protects them from getting a pass to do whatever they want and being told it's okay and so that's i i think the best way i can explain it the best way that we're supposed to approach this because that's what god does for us right exactly he has given us forgiveness in christ but you still have to take it you still have to repent you still have to be baptized you still have to come to him for it but it's there readily available and so uh i think he modeled that for us we have to do the same for each other and when you do that it's cool you know like you don't you're not holding onto a high ground and so man they came crawling to me like like we'll use that phrase because then the, the relationship is skewed like there's a a hierarchy to it on the other hand you're not so desperate to mend the fence that that you're now on the the lower ground this just equals it out and you can just move forward everybody's cool
2: well where i was coming from specifically on the sin versus not they break your tool do you forgive them for it well not until they apologize for breaking my tool <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm that's sorry.
0: If if you're getting real upset at somebody because they broke your tool, I don't know. It's such a funny depends depends me. on the tool. <laughs> Expensive stuff, man. I was gonna well, say
2: depends true. on the tool. My dad's had this happen to like five hundred dollar tools, and it's like, oh, uh, whoops, as they give it back broken. Like, excuse yeah, me. I think it came that way. He had the guy tell him once. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, it
1: was that way before. Like, well, then why'd you borrow it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <I> mean, like, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> probably why dad has two of literally like every tool in his garage. Yeah. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you that was just funny anyway no but you know that that concept like no it's not a sin against you per se but they probably should apologize for it you know yeah you extend the, the forgiveness to that if there is sin i still think you should extend forgiveness but you do need to call it out and that's the matthew 18 point of like they may not know that they legitimately have sinned against you hey that was gossip hey that was wrong you know whatever it may be um and i think calling that out and saying look brother like, I want to make this right. That is you extending that that forgiveness piece of paper. I want to make this right. And they can reach out and take it, or they can go, nope, I did nothing wrong, and back away. In that situation, it's not that you pull the the forgiveness off the table. You keep it on the table, but it does, it's like, that's between you and God. I still think that's wrong. I th- think you still call it out, but that's between them and God as to whether they're This willing. is one of
1: those things, but I think though, that does before transition. we finish this, of humility is the key to all of these. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in these situations. I've had it happen. I've seen it happen to other people where rather than saying, hey, you did this to me. It hurt. Can we talk about it? Somebody will come and say, brother, I forgive you. And like, well, what are you talking about? You know, like, and, <laughs> yes. and it's immediately taking this high ground of like, I'm the bigger man. That's and the I'm, moral high ground yeah, I'm talking about. E- yeah, exactly. And so, like, you really do have to have this, I want to work with you. I want to get on equal footing with you, not, I'm the better person who, I, I'm just patting you on the head and, you know, I. And letting you know I well that, on and on I'm, I'm in I'm full control. I'm in yeah. full control of the relationship. Yeah. Putting it out on the table pretty is pretty. giving up some of that control to get back on equal footing. So go ahead, Joe.
2: No, that's a great point. I was just gonna use it to transition into number two. So for the different forms of conflict you have personal, the second one is sinful. That and maybe to your point, Will, and kind of discussing this, Matthew 18, maybe it isn't specifically against you. You witness somebody, I think we've all known this, like you maybe one of your friends um has cheated on their spouse. And and you know about it. Nobody else. You know you get into some really difficult conflicts, or is heavily into porn addiction or has, something
0: like that. Yeah,
2: exactly. And they're not repentant or whatever it may be. They're in sin. What do we do in that situation? Naturally, conflict will arise. We cannot pretend that we didn't see it or walk the other way or oh wow you know did that that's, happen? That's that's or their business, gossip. not mine. Yeah, exactly. Or gossip about them. Did you know so and so without going to them? So there's clear lines. Matthew 18 being the first, it it absolutely applies here. You need to go and try to make it right. What do you guys? There's there's a couple different interpretations of the taking two. Um, What are your guys' thoughts on that? Because there's not always two witnesses. So what what is Jesus talking? I don't think he's necessarily talking about two people who witnessed it. But what would you say to that of people saying, "I'm the only one who knows. I can't take two witnesses
0: that know." Um, How do you explain that? To me, I. Uh, yeah the witnesses thing I, I don't necessarily think it has to be somebody who, who saw it just like you did it's you're taking the first step of you go you you see we'll use your example Joe you you observe a person at your congregation out to dinner you know romantically or whatever with somebody that's not their spouse what is your first step you go to them you say hey what's going on I saw this um, obviously that's not right and you have that communication about it um, if they if they if, if the person who is in sin, who is who is wrong in this instance, um kind of, you know, uh buckles down, says, you know, that's none of your business, that's my business. You kind of you stay away and, and I'll take care of my own stuff. That's when you then, in my opinion, whether or not these other people saw it or not, who do you take with you? Fellow brothers and sisters of Christ, and you that's when you let them in on it and say, Hey, I this is a problem that we need to address. Would you guys go with me? Let's see if we because again, what is the goal here? What is the overall goal? To restore a sinning brother, right? At the end of James five to to bring back somebody who is on the wrong track. So you go to them and you follow the same steps. You, you try to address it with them, um, and then obviously the hope the hope there is once again that they are going to confess that they're going to repent and try to make it right. That's when. Uh, So to answer your question, Joe, I I don't think they have to be, you know, necessarily have seen it. I think if if step number one doesn't work, you try to bring in other perspectives, bring in other people that can maybe talk to the individual. Does that make sense? Uh, I would imagine that's probably what Jesus was going for there. That's my understanding of it, too, is just further
1: follow up other people that, that can, because when you have to escalate to the congregation, it's not he said, she said, it's you've got three people now saying, we've seen this here. They're they're owning it. This is something that happened, and they're not repenting. Let's you know move forward with it, versus just one person kind of, almost seeming like tattletailing to everybody.
0: You know, right, right. I would say too because whether there's there's a lot of things that you could look at in somebody's life that that is a sin, and it can be very tempting to overlook and just kind of like you uh, said, Joe, just kind of hide your eyes and ah, it's not really my business. Because we don't like conflict, because we don't want to stir the pot, because we don't want to um, upset the status quo, so to speak. The problem with that is, if 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 people and members of a church get into the habit of kind of just overlooking blatant sin, what is that implying? It implies that they completely are condoning the sin that's going on. It implies that they're compromising their standards, even if they're not the ones that are in sin. If you're overlooking and kind of turning a blind eye to, to sin, and we always jump to the, the the sexual sins because those are quote unquote the big ones it doesn't have to be just that. there are if, if you've got a woman who is running down people in the church through gossip if you've got um, you know just stuff like that that we might not view as the quote unquote bigger sins um, you have a responsibility to not condone that to, to, to make sure that by following the steps of Matthew 18 you go to that person and say you are doing something that is in opposition to God and, and to God's word. Um, I've got first Corinthians five on here, um, at the end of first Corinthians five, where Paul basically is, is telling the Corinthians uh, verse nine, I wrote to you in my epistle, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral, immoral people of this world. Um, the verse 11, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. What's the idea there? Don't condone the behavior of somebody who claims to be a Christian, somebody who claims to be a brother, but who is living in a manner in complete opposition to God's word. You don't eat with them. You don't go watch the football game with them. You don't go out for chips and queso with them. Why? Because they need to know that they are living in complete opposition to God's word and that you don't condone that. And so I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, anything you guys have to add to that, the First Corinthians 5 idea of, of not eating with such a person? That's that's a tough one. It it really is because again, it it there's going to be conflict there and I think so many people just try to steer clear of it completely.
1: I think one of the things that it about that is that it teaches us to call things what they are, to see things as uh, see sin for what it is because we've talked so much and people have heard us run down brokenness culture. We're all broken. We all have things. There's a point at which, and you see the apostles do this. You see, you know, Paul saying, I, I opposed Peter to his face because he was being preferential to the Jews over the Gentiles. That was a sin. And he's like, hey, you," he said He said Peter stood condemned. And that's the reality of this is when there is that person in sin, it's not, well, brother. And, and I think of something, you know, you mentioned, Will, it's not just sexual sins. When somebody doesn't show up to church for four weeks, nobody's seen him. One of the things we do, hey, hey, brother, we're missing you. Uh, you know, I know life's busy. I know the schedule's full. No, you're you're forsaking the assembly. Uh, you know, the assembling. You know, but you're. This is wrong, and where are you? And you need to get back. And if you don't get back, there will be consequences. We're going to pursue this. This is—you can't just do this and get along. You know, pretend it's okay. And and we've all known those people that disappear for two months, show up for two or three weeks, disappear for two months, and and you know, everyone's calling them, begging them, "Hey, we're real missing you. You know, we'd we'd love to see you this week." That's the point at which this kind of thing comes into play, where you say. This is wrong. You cannot treat Jesus like that. You can't blow off his, the body and blood of Jesus for eight weeks in a row and then come in and snack on it. We don't allow that. And and so calling things what they are, saying sin is what it is, you stand condemned, and so we've got to make this right. If we return to that tone of this, and it's a loving tone, it's a I love you too much to let this go on, then we, we really handle this the right way rather than begging people to, to get on the right track.
2: But even worse not only do we let them participate in taking the body and blood, a lot of the times we let them serve the Lord's Supper. That'll keep them in church, right? We want to encourage him, so let's have him say the closing prayer. Uh. -uh. That's exactly like, no, you haven't been here. But that's what we do because we want him back, but nobody's really willing to go to the conflict of doing it. That's exactly the point I was going to make is like, we're to be holy as God is holy. A massive part of God's holiness is seeing sin for what it is and saying this is abhorrent. Part of our holiness, part of the sanctification process is, as the Spirit works in us, is for us to hate sin. And yes, in our own lives, but this is the individualization of Christianity, how it's become is, hey, I'm okay with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm okay with God. That's not, that's not what we're called to do. That's not the body of Jesus. Like, we're helping one another and we're bringing certain parts and the building up of the body as it talks about in Ephesians 4, Right. If that's the case and all of the one another passages come along, one of the biggest things is we ought to be looking, yes, at our own sinful life, but also at the sins of others, not in a judgmental way. But what what does Paul say? And this is 1 Corinthians 5. Like, hey, we have nothing in judging the world. Why would we go out and judge the world? They're they're the world. Of course they're going to do it. We are here to judge the body rightly, to judge the body of Christ, right? Like to judge one another rightly and to say, you stand condemned, you're in sin we have to be willing to see sin as God sees it and say, this is a serious problem. And when we go, well, I'd rather not
0: have the conflict, then I guess sin isn't that important is what we're saying. But then, so you got that, but then you got the other side of the coin, which is the people that are almost looking for, you know, things to to nitpick people on. Um, the Matthew 7 thing comes in, right? About you better be sure that your life is straight before you go around, you know, calling people out. And so that kind of, this last question might sound kind of strange, Um, Because in all of our examples, we've kind of used bigger stuff, right? Um, Cheating on your spouse, pornography, even missing church is is kind of a big thing. Do you guys think that there are quote-unquote sins that, again, this question sounds so weird, that is not worth going to to someone about? And on the surface, you're like, no, every sin is worth going to them about. Um, But there are people that would say, for instance, somebody's um, dress, the way that they're dressing, I think all the three of us would agree that's still something that you go to them about because that's, you know, if you dress him modestly, that's not something God approves of. Um, but you get what I'm saying. Like, is there anything that might be – because you do have people that want to nitpick everything and like Jack was saying earlier, call it a sin when maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it is subjective. Um, I had another example that slipped my mind. But just things that obviously don't jump to the level of cheating on your spouse or don't jump to the level of um, – skipping church for a, for a month or two. Is there anything that because we I think we do have to be very careful with that not to just nitpick. I was thinking
2: something like gluttony. You go out to eat with somebody and you've been around them enough to know like their relationship with food is really unhealthy. They don't stop themselves, maybe they're massively overweight and they've got a really poor relationship with food. That's really difficult, right? And that's one where you could say is it a sin? Yeah, it probably is, but do we call that one out? Entertainment choices like, it would be
0: another one. Like you hear your you your, your yeah. fellow brother or sister that went to go watch XYZ, terrible movie. I'm telling
2: you about the Game of Thrones, uh, you know, yeah, the recent Game of Thrones episode that they were watching or whatever. Yeah. Now, what I are y'all's for thoughts sure on that? That's that tough. Lusting. Yeah. I, I still would say there needs to be a discussion on the wisdom of their approach. Um You know, they may not have been lusting after Game of Thrones or whatever, but they're putting themselves
0: in the path of sinners, as Psalm 1 might say, right? Um, that was the other and, one I thought and, of. Young people going to prom would be another one. That's like, they're probably sinning when they're going, but can you can you go to them? I don't know. That, that, that's tough. I think this is where the Proverbs
2: come in. The Proverbs are all about wisdom. Now, we have to be somebody that is willing and able to, to give the wisdom and to try to back it up through Scripture, but there is a, an aspect of look, what is wise? You don't put yourself in these positions. And that's half of Proverbs is that's, I don't see it as sinning per se of what he's saying of, Hey, don't go around this part of town. Like that's where the harlots hang out. But it's a lot of wisdom that his son needed. Um, And I would say the same thing of, we do have a duty. This is where it's not necessarily going to them. It's the older teaching the younger. It's the discipleship. It's the, Hey, maybe think about this one. You know, that, that may not be where you want to be at this time. That may not be the show you want to watch. You may want to consider your relationship with food, whatever it is. That to me is the next level of relationship where you have such a, such a relationship where you can disciple a little bit. You can pull out the Proverbs and, and appeal to wisdom more than book, chapter, verse law. This is what you have to do is it wise right and so that would be my understanding jack what are your thoughts
1: i think this is why these episodes build on each other and why we're putting them consecutively is you have to have those close relationships you are not going to go and this is one of those like ideal world maybe you should but you're not going to go to a you know christian brother who's you know by name but don't really know that well and be like man i notice uh you know waits weights a bit of a problem for you is there a gluttony issue here but you know, among us, we can, we've got that brotherhood of like, Hey buddy, that's uh, getting a little out of control there. Uh, you know, uh, or, or just other things of like, man, you talk to your wife that way. That's not, that's not really cool. And so most of the time our relationships are so shallow that you ask that question, who do I have in my life? Not who just can call me out, but will, but will do that for me. And I will, I will tolerate, I will accept it. I will be thankful for it. And I think most of the time, most of our relationships, we would say nobody, There's not that person there, and so you need to be that person, and you need to uh, allow others to be it for you, but without a close relationship, it's not going to happen, so that's how we maintain that shallowness, is like the unspoken agreement of, I'm doing my own thing, I got my own flaws, I'm not going to call out yours, you don't call out mine, we'll just be cool on that, but it's like, if we're really going to help each other, it would be great to have mentors and brothers and and people alongside you who are willing to, to just when they notice these things about you and be like, you know, you seem a little stressed, seem like you're a little snippy with your kids right now. Hey, it seems like, you know, you're slacking a little bit on, on this or, you know, you're really not involved with the work of the church. How can we get you to step up? You know, what what's missing here? And and those kind of questions and challenges and, and discussions, as I said, ideally, these can happen from any Christian brother, but they don't, or or sister, but they don't. They happen with the people that you have that rapport with. And so, those are the people who also will have that gauge of when you're sinning and and when you're being unwise and You know, I just I just had this conversation with somebody this last week of yeah, you You know was texting and said I don't think that's the best choice and The, the person was really thankful. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that I, I hadn't thought about that but that was really good and it, it's that attitude that builds that bonds of like, they know they can do that for me. I can do that for them because we're looking out for each other. And and that's the really important thing is we, we all want to see each other succeed in our walk
0: with Christ. And that is to me, the healthiest example of what that should look like in our deep end segment um, that uh, came out last Friday in response to the brotherhood sisterhood episode. We had that quite, we had a question that where somebody basically asked, So, you know, are marriages and parenting basically off limits when it comes to um, criticism and really trying to help each other along? And the answer that we came away with is they shouldn't be. Ideally, they should not be. That should not be something that's off limits to discuss. And so I think that's what Jack's getting at there is the idea that ideally the healthiest thing is to have congregations full of people that are close enough together that have the relationships to be able to talk about these things and, and, and help you know, lift each other up when there's things that, that they're struggling with, things that they're not good at, as Jack's, as, as we've already said a dozen times, we don't have those relationships now, so that is increasingly difficult, but we should. Um, I want to go ahead and get us into the third one, uh, the third area. We've had the personal area of conflict, the sinful area of conflict, and now I want us to get into the congregational area of conflict. Again, not individual on individual, but you've got a church-wide disagreement, um, we've all heard the stories about church churches splitting right that's something that everybody is familiar with maybe some of our listeners have been a part of a church split um what do we do here guys this is one that it takes on a bit of a different form because you typically have groups of people that are adamantly disagreeing with each other and i i, I want to set aside kind of the the doctrinal disagreements when it comes to like kind of the extreme you know one one group wants to bring in instruments the other doesn't We're not really talking about that because obviously, you, you, that's not really something that you can compromise on, so to speak. You can't say, okay, well, we'll do two services. No, you can't do that. You know, if you've got one group that wants to have women serve the Lord's Supper or whatever, we're not really talking about those things. What about the other things? Because we've heard about, we've all heard about churches that split for, call it ridiculous reasons, right? The proverbial color of the carpet, color of the pew, whatever it is. Um, what do we do when there are issues at hand that might not necessarily be, again, the doctrinal stuff, women, baptism instruments, the ones that we always go jump to? What do we do then when it's not those issues and it's maybe something a bit more on the minor scale?
1: I think one of the worst ones is the they fired the preacher. He was really popular with a certain faction, and so they're just going to go start their own thing, or he'll get a job at the, the church across town, and we'll just go join him over there. That is awful. I mean, that is I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos, I'm... And Paul was adamant on stop that. That is not okay. And and so, but people do that. They they organize a tribe around a person or around an idea, like you said, a, a color of the carpet, proverbially, or just different things like that about the operation of a church. And I was part of a church that almost split over moving Sunday evening service from five p.m. to two o'clock after lunch we've always done it that way, and we can't do it. What about the people who are coming through who might want to take Lord's Supper as their visitors? And, you know, the the three people a year that do that, we got to keep that in place. And, but on the other hand, it was like, well, if we do this, this is going to grow our church. And it's like, no, it's not. And so I was in the middle of this meeting, just like, what is going on here? We're, we're, and I mean, people literally talking about, well, I'm, I'm just going to go to the other church now, because if, if you guys move this, well, if you don't move this, then I'm going to go. Like, and you look at how important unity is you look at you know they will know you're christians by your love well they'll know you're not by these kinds of things too and and so i don't know there I, there's really no excuse for things like this and and joe we were talking about before the color of the carpet thing those those really petty things that's not the reason anybody splits they split because they don't have the spirit of Christ they split because they don't love unity. They split because they already had a bunch of petty things with each other and were sniping at each other and it comes to a head on something like that stupid in the same sense in marriage the you know the big disagreements I've had with my wife usually come from something very stupid, a kitchen chore that you know we're disagreeing on how to do it or whatever it is, and you're like this is revealing underlying stuff that I've been hanging on to for a while. And so it's because we don't have conflict resolution skills, it's because we also don't have leadership to navigate this. I think Yodia and Syntyche in Philippians 4 is such an interesting thing in that Paul says, hey, you guys help them fix this. You know, whoever he's writing to, he's like, solve this problem with them. Walk them through this. And I think sometimes you need church leadership that's not divisive, that has the trust of the people, that can sit everybody down in a room and say, we're not leaving here until we're on the same page. This is not okay. And, and honestly, if you take your ball and go home and go to the church down the street, we're calling that church and telling them you're in sin. We don't do those things, but we should.
2: I think we're very afraid. Once again, you have a lot of leaders afraid of conflict, afraid of their, their members of the sheep. Um, and so they don't really want to rock the boat. But I was thinking about, I know of a congregation... When you said it, I was specific specifically thinking of one back home that very much had that happen with the preacher. The Preacher was fired. Um, lots of families, like half, more than half of the congregations, like okay, we'll just go start another one. And I know enough of both sides that I think there was some you know issues with the firing. There should have been they should have been called out, and I don't think it was right for that to be the case. At the same time, you know this is. Where Jack, we want to get into uh, maybe your upcoming book of like how do we be good sheep, and what good leaders look like, and what do we do in those situations? Because I think there is unity has to matter and staying put, but I also think to our point of conflict, there should be the recourse to go to the elders and say, "Hey, I don't think that's right." You know this this is we have these families, these heads of the families, or these deacons, or whoever it is that's going on behalf of the preacher, saying, "I don't think it's right." Can we work out a solution? I think a lot of Elders are content to fire the preacher and scapegoat him for the problems of the congregation. Well, these things aren't getting fixed, so we'll just fire him. And I think the elders are going to have to answer to God for these unjust firings when there are a lot of unjust firings, in my opinion. Um, But this is where, again, the unity of the congregation, there needs to be a lot of transparency of here's why we made the decision and keeping that together. Um, But congregational conflict, to your point, Jack, that's spot on. There's always something underneath in husband and wife. Is it really about the chores? No, it's about the fact that maybe I haven't felt listened to in a long time. I haven't felt like you've you've cared to do the things that I need you to do. Well, that's a much bigger discussion there. That's been building for a long time, right? So we take the one little thing, and I would say that we were talking about the the um, sheet over the Lord's Supper and how they're literally, my grandmother tells the church, it literally split over whether they had a sheet over the Lord's Supper, and it all came down to moving to a new building, getting AC, and they no longer needed it for the flies. But traditionally, they always had it. Tradition destroys, I'm sorry, tradition destroys congregations. Like this, this holding on to tradition of, we have to do it this way, Jack, with the 2 p.m. We can't do it 2 p.m. Tradition's not all bad, but we have to be able to question every bit of it because so many congregations split over what's tradition
0: and what's not. This is where, and I might get in trouble on this. I have to call out the older generation because it is so frustrating that the older generation, older people, are the ones that are supposed to be wiser. They're supposed to be the one, the ones that have more, um, you know, biblical wisdom, b- biblical knowledge. But so far, or so often. What generation is the one that is standing their ground on the color of the carpet, that is standing their ground on 5 p.m., that is standing their ground on the Lord's Supper sheet over the table, that is standing their ground on whatever reason that is not that big a deal? It's the older generation. It's the older generations. I know that's that's very stereotypical. That's generalizing, but it's also true most of the time that you've got people in my generation, young people, that are like, it doesn't really matter what time the service is. It doesn't really matter whether we do the Lord's Supper You know, before the sermon or after the sermon, it doesn't really matter. You've got so many older people that they are going to again stand their ground and maybe even leave a church, maybe split the church over stuff that does not matter. That the preacher thing. How many young people do you know of that are like, well, if if that preacher leaves, I'm going with them. No, that's typically older people. And so I do again. I don't want to just sit here and bash older people because. Obviously, young people have a lot of things they need to work on. But this is one specifically that I, as a young person, get so frustrated with older people. And it's like, you guys should be the ones that are modeling unity for us young people. You guys should be the ones. And navigating conflict. Yes, and navigating conflict rather than, well, no, that's just the way it has to be. When it's, again, the time of service or the... You know, again, any of the stuff we've discussed, the stuff that isn't doctrinal, the stuff that doesn't really matter at the end of the day, that's the stuff, that's the hill that you're going to die on as an older person. It's so frustrating, and it's time—it's way past time for older people, once again, to start modeling for the younger people, for the more inexperienced Christians. No, we compromise on the stuff that doesn't really matter. You know, we compromise on the stuff that is not, again, scriptural, doctrinal, colors, times, all things like that. Far too often, older people are the ones that are, again, splitting churches over this.
2: But this goes back to Jack's consumer Christianity that he talks a lot about in Church Reset, which is just such a good point of like, what would you expect from people who have been given everything and told that it's all about you? Well, hold on. I want it this way. I don't give a care, truly. I don't care if you want it this way. We're a church. We're a congregation. We're going to do what's best for everybody else. But hold on a second. Right, we we literally kept two pews in our congregation back home, because there was a woman that sat on the pews and threatened that uh, she was going to leave. We wanted to go to chairs. She was going to leave if we didn't... Uh, that type of all stuff. The chairs. Exactly. We had to keep yeah. two pews because she had to have it. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? But once again, when you've been told it's all about you from a consumer Christianity point, no wonder why we have congregation split. Because it's all about me and it's not going my way, so I'll take my ball and go home. They don't recognize you... You are part of something much bigger. I am the vine. You are the branches. That's all you are. You're not your own vine. You don't get to go out there and, and cowboy this thing. This is for you to be part of something bigger than yourself. And when we've told people for the last 60 years, it is about you. What Whatever you want goes. And we're just going to try to kowtow to you. And the elders are going to bow down to the people. No wonder why we have a crisis right now in the churches. No wonder why we have, literally there are places in Tennessee, I can throw a rock and hit three churches of Christ. Are you serious? Are you serious? You couldn't get along, but some, you know, 50 years ago, we split over. So-and-so doing something, and they swear to you it's doctrinal. And now when you come into the congregation, what happened? I don't know. Or, hey, you know, back then, somebody was doing something like unity was cheap. Unity meant nothing. And what does that tell every other member of your congregation when it was cheap for them? And what does it It tell members
0: of... Uh, members of the community that aren't part of the church? What does it tell the people you're trying to evangelize to? Like, you guys can't get along over that? No thanks. I don't need to be a part of that.
2: Which church of Christ should I go to? Are, are you guys sound? Are you biblical? Because right. there's like three others on my drive there, five-minute drive to church. Like, where do you go? So it's, it's to the ridiculous point, but from a congregational perspective, we have to zoom out, and we have to get a grasp on what's important. And as we're talking yes. about the personal, we're talking about the sinful, we're talking about the congregational, Each of these is the ability to see the forest for the trees, to say to see what's more important. The relationship is more important than your feelings. The calling out sin and holiness is more important than a lack of conflict. The you know, doing things right and preserving unity is more important than you getting your way and you standing your ground on the color of the pews. Like those things are far more important, but because we get so myopic and we are so into the trees, we cannot zoom out and see. What's actually important
1: in this situation? I want to add something to, and this kind of all transitions us towards our last point of just natural conflict with each other, but this also goes back all the way to the social media thing. It goes back to, it ties a lot of threads together that we're talking about of we, and this is something that Bonhoeffer wrote about in his book, Life Together, a very short book, incredible book about fellowship and giving of ourselves and self-sacrifice and and navigating closeness as, as Christians is we've got this, he called it the wish dream church. And everyone's got like this perfect situation in their head that they they can't love the church in front of them because they're so in love with what could be, with this perfect situation where everybody gets along. And I think that drives a lot of this of I come somewhere, there's a little bit of conflict, there's a little bit of pushback, grass is greener, I'm going to go somewhere else. And with the social media thing, you find like-minded people all around, you know, like you, all around the country, wherever, you know, they're, they're just scattered abroad all over the place. And so, and you see this with, with niche communities and I'm not criticizing them because I love them, but homeschoolers are very much this way. And conservative homeschool families, you know, sometimes they're the bigger families, can very much niche themselves into this corner of Facebook where there's 20 of us. And, and man, if we just all could be, you know, live closer together, if we could have our own church, we could do things our own way, but people, other people do that as well. Well, you and I see church eye to eye and man, we just need to go somewhere and start our own thing. And, uh, and, and the conferences, well, I go to such and such conference because the like-minded people there, well, you're not surrounded geographically with like-minded people. It's a blessing that you can connect with them via the internet, via traveling to conferences, but the people in your geographic area aren't going to be that way. That's not a curse, that's a blessing. That's not a bug, that's a feature. That is something that God gave you people who don't affirm everything that you believe, agree with everything you believe, because this stretches you. This makes you grow more gracious as a person. This makes you grow more forgiving as a person. This makes you a little more humble as a person, as you realize, you know, I'm not the perfect person to get along with all the time either. You know, my views on everything, I think they're right, you know, and of how the church should be and how these things should go, but there's gotta be some give and take. And if you're you're just trying to seek out that community where there's never any give and take, it just weakens you like crazy. I mean, yes, it's good to find like minded people, and it, it's important to have that fellowship. I'm not downplaying that, because I know a lot of our listeners are those kind of people, and some of those listeners are here for that reason, as they find like mindedness in us, and I think that's great. But this idea and I've known this is kind of a phenomenon, especially there's a couple denominational churches where this happens. There's one up in Idaho where they project a certain kind of vision and people literally move from across the country. like, I want to go be part of that. Don't do that. That's not, I, I get it. I, I get the impulse behind it. Start building where you are, start connecting with the people in your community. And I know it feels sometimes like you're the only spiritual minded people. You're the only people that really care about striving for more and all that. Maybe true. Sometimes that really is true. Be Noah's family. Be a missionary family in that sense of we're just going to work at it. We're going to love these people. We're going to be patient with these people. We're going to forgive these people. Because if you can't do that, again, it's it's as Allison said, you're going to have a string of broken relationships. You're gonna you're going to be that person who's been to ten churches in the last twenty years. Uh, you know who you're going to be that person who just doesn't have any deep fellowship anywhere, and you're longing to live closer to the people all the way three thousand miles across the country. It's just not healthy for us. God gave us the people around us for this reason.
2: And it takes time. It takes a lot of time to develop anything. You feel you're the only one in the congregation? Start with one other family, a young family that you think you might be able to disciple. You think you might be able to bring along. You may be the young family. Start with one other person. Slowly begin, not a click, but a closeness, right? You feel you can be close. And slowly expand that out and try to add more people and bring people from the as you're talking about, Jack, from the community and, and start
1: to slowly build from just use you. those like minded people as a recharge that you, you go to that conference. You go online and you recharge by connecting and, and strengthening the and encouraging and receiving encouragement from those people. Use that to then go take that back into your difficult situation. You want the situation where it's easy all the time. It's just not how it's going to be, and it's not good for you. So I, I I said all that to kind of get us into this last one because I think it's a big part of it, very connected with the congregational and just the natural conflict thing is congregations are made up of people who naturally have conflict.
2: Yeah, you simply don't get along with everybody. Uh, that's the last one It's this natural conflict. You just don't get along. You, you butt heads. You, um, as Will said earlier, oil and water, right? We all have those people that just from a personality I just get on point, our nerves the wrong way yeah just <laughs> right. get on your nerves like that happens and we're very aware of that is that something fellas i'll throw to you is that something that we go and talk to them about until we become their best friends i don't think so i mean there's going to be people that no matter what you do what they've been through in life puts them in a different position and gives them a different viewpoint than you um you're not going to just like My take on do this- away with that
0: yeah, my take on this is you still fulfill the one another commands. You still bear their burdens. You still um, are kind to them. You still um, consider them. You know all the things. Consider one another. Bear one another's burdens. All those things. They they don't get excluded from that just because you don't get along with them. Just because they annoy you or you don't enjoy you know conversation with them doesn't mean that they get excluded from those. But it doesn't always mean that you, you I have to invite them out. For dinner, you know, I, 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 you know, you don't have to, I guess is what I'm getting at. You still fulfill all those commands. You still, you know, love them like Christ, love them. You still, you need to have humility in all these areas and ask yourself, okay, do, they, do I not get along with them because of, of something that I'm doing wrong or because of, you know, something about me, but let's face it, you're not going to be everyone's best friend in the church. You're not going to just really, really enjoy every single person at your congregation. Um, I think there are... People that you click with and people that you don't sometimes, and um, Romans twelve eighteen comes into this this discussion quite a bit, which is the concept of uh, the idea that as best as as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Essentially, um, doesn't mean you got to be their 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 best friend all the time, but you need to be at peace with them. You need to fulfill the one another commands and include them in that. Uh, what do you guys have to add to that? I kind of
1: had this mindset for a long time of like. I don't know building you build a friendship with somebody and and I didn't have a lot of friends growing up I was not you know the popular guy with just tons of friends I had a few here and there and there was that thing sometimes of like okay I disagree with a buddy I'd have a fight with him or whatever and it's like well I guess we're not friends anymore and you kind of realize how stupid that is but especially when you get to marriage like you have that first argument it's like well now what? You can't do that. We're not friends anymore. You can't do that. I'm going to arms, (laughs) arms length them. There's a, okay, I've got to figure out what to do. And there are going to be people to Will's point about not everyone's going to be your best friend. We hold up Jonathan and David as great friends because that was special because that's something that not everybody has. You know, you have these good examples, but most everybody else, there's just working relationships kind of with people. And, one of the things that you realize sometimes as you grow closer to somebody is, you know what, there is that hard ceiling on how tight I'm going to be with this person. How much I see eye to eye with them. There's going to be things that we just disagree on, and if I can't be okay with that, I'm going to be pretty miserable to be around. If I can't make space for that and if I can't let them be them and not have to force myself on them and why can't they like me more? Why can't we be closer? But there's just kind of a there's there's just people that it's like I love you. Care about you. We'll we'll serve you. We'll do what you need as you said the one another's, but yeah, no, we we're we're probably not going to that that deep BFF kind of thing. And that's where for Ephesians 4 it it phrases it so perfectly, tolerating one another in love. You know what tolerating means? Putting up with. And I think this is something Christians we have gotten so bad about is putting up with each other. There are things that you just have to put up with. That means there's going to be things about the other person you think are terribly negative. Put up with each other. Do it. You have to. It's a command to do it, and you think, how often do we not do that? How often do we find an excuse to just circumvent the whole thing? We know Paul had problems with Mark,
2: right? We know that Barnabas kind of takes the side of of, uh, Mark as they're related, and Ends up leaving. That's how how, um, Silas comes in, right? Ends up leaving Paul with that missionary journey. You don't get the sense that Paul's harboring a whole lot of bitterness and ill will, especially as he comes back and talks about John Mark being a a worker for the gospel in his last letter. I think it's 2 Timothy, right? So clearly they worked it out along the way, but Paul even had conflicts with people. Could you still do good work in Christ? Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. Even though they disagreed on how to get there and he was clearly very upset at Mark, they still allowed them to work in Christ. We don't know if they ever worked again together, but he still considered them a brother in Christ. So that would be the, the key thing, is you can still do good work for the Lord, even though you don't necessarily get along with them. What I would say before we wrap up, fellas, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that specific point, but what I would say is, we talked a lot about the need for conflict, um, how to have conflict for the most part, but it really is going to come down to, this is just flat uncomfortable. uncomfortable. It, it's just uncomfortable. Um what you have to do in my opinion is you have to ask yourself why is it so uncomfortable for me? Yes, the therapist in me says there are people that, you know, going back from past trauma, or the way their parents fought or whatever it may be that may cause them to be averse to to conflict. But most of the time it's like I don't want to lose the relationship. I'm afraid that if I were to bring this up I might lose the relationship. Bring that into the conflict, bring that into you going going to them and saying, "Brother, I love you and I want the relationship. I and, and that makes it difficult for me to come and talk to you about this. Right. Make that However, the I really Correct. Like that cocoons it in love and to say, I do want the relationship, but I also recognize that this is a sin or this is wrong, or we need to have a discussion about this because a lot of times it comes, oh, you just hate me. I already prefaced up front. I don't hate you. I already told you I want the relationship, but I feel I need to bring this up to you. And to me, that kind of, it softens the blow a little bit, but it also lets them know the first priority, first and foremost, is for us to have a good relationship together because I love you. You can even do it on the back end. That's how Paul does it. Build up, tear down, build up. Look at Paul's example. Use that in your conflict. Um, And sometimes, yeah, it's a Galatians letter. There's not a whole lot of building up. Sometimes you just come right out and say, hey, this is the way it is. But a lot of the time, almost, I think every other letter of Paul, it's build up, tear down, build up. I think we can use that in conflict to make sure that we are prioritizing the relationship and be willing to kind of address the elephant in the room. This is awkward. I'm not comfortable doing this. I, I don't get some kick out of kicking you, right? That's not fun for me, but I do feel called to do this. And sometimes I think that's okay as well.
0: I think that's a great way to wrap. a great way to wrap uh, this particular episode and just really the the arc that we've been on this this three episode arc. Um, so thank you, Joe, for that. As always. For our Focus Plus subscribers, uh, be sure to leave your thoughts, leave your comments um, on the Patreon posts. And for those of you who are not Focus Plus subscribers, number one, we'd love to have you join us. The deep end is always fun responding to uh, directly to questions and comments. But even if you're not, let us know what you think on Facebook, on our all of our social media posts, um, as far as the questions that we ask, the topics that we've discussed. We always love the feedback. We'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, this is... We 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 say it, we believe every single one of the episodes we do is important, of course, but this is incredibly important. If we truly want to grow the church, if we truly want to have these close relationships, we've got to figure this one out. We've got to be good at conflict resolution. We've got to have the humility, um, all the things that we've talked about in every single one of these different forms of conflict. we got to get these right. Um, guys, anything to add before we wrap up this particular episode? If not, as always, thank you so much for listening. We will look forward to talking to you, uh, the Focus Plus subscribers, on Friday for The Deep End and everybody else next week for another episode of Think Deeper.